Welcome to the Orion Podcast, hosted by Jessa and Laurel of A Stellar Co., a podcast that connects you with the knowledge and resources you need to drive a more conscious form of capitalism. Orion starts now. Hey, Laurel. Hey, Jessa. Who are we here with today? We're with Dr. Ben. Hi, y'all. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Happy birthday to Laurel. Woo! Yes. Yeah. Quite Just... the gift for all of us. Oh. Thanks. Thanks to mom. Thanks to dad for Good birthing job, me team. 34 Good years job. ago. Yeah. For getting through it. You did it. You all did it. We all did it. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, on that note... We met Dr. Ben through a mutual friend. Uh, the first day I met him, uh, he opened up about some of his personal stuff because I think he could see in my eyes that I was suffering. And he opened up and shared and referred me to you. And you've been such a gift to me. Mm. And it was, I wanted my I wanted to celebrate my birthday with you. Oh, I was like, we're doing this, Dr. Oh, ben. Wonderful. And I'm so glad you're here. And you have a really inspirational story um, that's kind of curly. It's not like a straight path no, to yeah. being a clinical doctor. It's a spiral. So it is. Ooh. Upward spiral. Oh, oh, I like that. Spiral out. Yeah. Yeah. Upward spiral. Tell us about your spiral. <laughs> <laughs> Tell like, us about like medical school and why, okay. it, why it wasn't okay. a straight line. Yeah. Well, my, my kind of journey into, into medicine and healing work began even before that. Mm. So I remember being in high school and this thing called the Human Genome Project mm -hmm. yep. came out and I was in love with biology and chemistry and, and nature. And even though I was young, I had a sense that this was expanding our reach of exploration and discovery into a new realm for humanity. It was going to usher in a new era of what was possible for all of us. Mm. And it just so happened that the company that unlocked the human genome was literally right across the street from my parents' home. So it was the sense that this giant scientific revolution was happening, and it wasn't in this distant, far-out place. It was right in my hometown. So I think there was this sense of, like, well, I could be a part of this totally. in some significant, meaningful way. And kind of declared my intention mm -hmm. to, to the universe that I wanted to get into biotechnology. And is often the case when we declare an intention and we're really in alignment with that intention, right, that we really feel it deep in our core and it's authentic for us. Mm -hmm. Amazing things start to manifest. And so the gift that came into my life was a connection with someone who was in charge of a lab. And she happened to make some great discoveries while she was in her lab at the National Institutes of Health that led to her having an abundant budget. And she loved mm. investing in young talent and young researchers. So I went into her office when I was 15 years old and declared, I want to volunteer for you. Wow. She said, great, come back when you have a driver's license. <laughs> so we compromised and I came back when I had a driver's permit. Mm. And started volunteering in her lab after school for six to seven hours per week. And within a couple of weeks, I was actually like a full-scope researcher. So wow. working with million-dollar microscopes. Uh, my, my ethics have changed a lot at the t since then. Yeah. Um, but we, we did quite a bit of, of animal research. I'm now mostly against animal research, and it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> and did everything from the statistical analysis to putting together papers and, and presenting research findings and developing protocols, et cetera. And so that was really my first foray into biomedicine. And what, what I quickly learned was I just didn't have the right personality to do that kind of work. Were you doing, were you in high school at the yeah, time? Yeah, I was in high school at the so time. So you were managing high school and this rad internship. Yeah, I worked a lot as yeah. a teenager. I mean, I really worked like 
one and a half full-time jobs basically yeah. as, as a teenager because my schoolwork was also incredibly intense. I was right. in accelerated classes everywhere. So it was, a, it was a lot of work. But what I learned from the experience was um, I, I thrive more on the human connection. Mm-hmm. And so in the lab, things are very abstract and, and they're also very sterile. Re- they're very sterile <laughs> and they're very reductionist. And what I also began to learn is this reductionist worldview that has really dominated scientific thought for decades now was off course that at least in my experience and in other people's experience, simply reducing complex phenomenon like life into mechanisms that there's something that's lost there. And not just something that's lost, but there's a whole lot that's fundamentally undiscoverable Mm -hmm. by using that methodology. And so that began a larger path that has culminated in my work now of of holistic views, of systems thinking. Mm -hmm. And that way of thinking really permeates all the different work that I do in the world. So from high school, went to undergrad. Undergrad was involved in all different kinds of things, a lot of community organizing work, mostly working in communities that were really disadvantaged. I mean, multi-generational trauma, poverty, racism, um, you name it. So did a lot of work there, disaster relief. And that's when I became more interested in, in truly the humanistic power of what medicine could look like. So it started moving my view from health as an individual phenomenon, that mostly happens in a doctor's office with metrics that we measure to health at a systems view. How is it affecting the whole community? How is the community affecting the whole environment? How is the environment affecting the community? How do communities affect larger uh, conglomerations of people, whether it's a state or a nation state, and really begin to see that there's this fractal dynamic that how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to each other scales in both directions to the Mm. micro and to the macro. And from there, from from undergrad, I was still kind of like fomenting these <laughs> thoughts. They were mostly philosophical. Then I traveled the world for a year, mm-hmm. spent about three and a half months in the Middle East, which completely undid all my ideas about political systems being effective at solving complex problems. They definitely have a role, mm-hmm. but I began to see that things like culture were actually upstream from politics. Yeah. And then I went to South America and Central America, and while I was down there, had experiences with entheogenic plants and shamanic practices. And that was a fundamental paradigm shift for me. So that was a moment where your life just... Yeah, it wasn't. It was a series of moments, yeah. and it was definitely a period of time that unfolded. But that was where, like, wow, all my ideas about objectivity and the objective-subjective relationship and what we can know and how we know things really began to dissolve. Mm-hmm. And the new ways hadn't yet come into being. Mm-hmm. So this all happened prior to medical school. Okay. I was applying to medical school during this time and interviewing for medical schools throughout these travels and ended up going to University of Michigan on a full scholarship, which really opened up the possibilities of of being more of a traveler through the system. So the medical school system has very strong ways of, of teaching people, has a very strong culture. It has very strong ethos. It's tied into a lot of different industry interests. It's tied into a lot of ways of thinking about science. Mm -hmm. Some of those are good. Some of those are turning out to not be so healthy. And I think that system hopefully will go through its own evolution. Certainly the pressure that's coming from society at large to have a different relationship with their body and a different relationship with health and wellness is creating a lot of market forces for that system to evolve. Mm -hmm. As I was going through it, I was also going through my own health challenges. Yes, this is so very be- interesting. Yeah, so I was becoming both a doctor and a patient at the same time. Yeah. And becoming a patient was really the first time in my life. And as I became a patient in that system, 
I came face to face with the limitations of it mm-hmm. in terms of, hey, we don't really know what's wrong with you. We have this label for it. Mm-hmm. We have no real solutions for it. Good luck. Mm-hmm. And that was a really hard thing to receive. I was, it was a pretty desperate time in my life. What did and that it, feel like when people that you were learning with how to basically help were like, can't help you? Like, it's kind fun. of like, um, uh, for me, it, I mean, it, quite honestly, at the time, it was a lot of despair. Yeah. Because I had sacrificed a lot. I had sacrificed relationships. I had sacrificed fun evenings out. I had mm-hmm. sacrificed other experiences like traveling abroad um, to be on this path of medicine, mm-hmm. right? Because it involves quite a bit of sacrifice to be pre-med and to get into a competitive med school, et cetera. And I had all my kind of hopes and dreams on on this system being the container that I could offer really good work to the world in. Yeah. So it's kind of like the house of cards started to crumble. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a full crumbling yet. Now, the the profound opportunity in all of this was that the pain I was experiencing internally, physically, and also emotionally and spiritually, and the seeming failure of the system around me created a situation where the the only way out was going through myself Mm -hmm. and becoming my own researcher and becoming my own physician. And only then did I learn that there's actually this longstanding mythology in, in, in the mythos of Chiron of this idea of the wounded healer. (laughs) <laughs> and that it's through tending to our own wound that we learn something valuable about healing. Absolutely. And then from that place, we may distill something that's actually useful, that's actually helpful and of service to other beings. Mm-hmm. But not from an idea or a concept of this is the right way to do it because this is what empirical science says, but from the embodied experience of I was in a place very similar to you. The details may be different, but I was in a place of profound suffering or profound despair. These are the things that came to my path. I tried a lot of different things. Some of them worked out. This is how they worked out. This is why I think they worked out. This is what other people have said about why they may work out. Um, And that's really informed my whole path of healing for the most part. Absolutely. It's been a a deeply personal journey. It's been really informed by what's helped me and what's helped the people that I love. Mm -hmm. And, And also what's helped the patients that I've been able to take care of. So that's brought me to the place where graduated med school. That was a, I mean, that's probably like, Bookworthy in its own self because that, <laughs> that was quite the journey. Yeah. Well, and, maybe you should uh, write a book. Yeah, that might happen. That might oh. happen. Yeah, there's there's lots of possibilities. We've had on some the book horizon. reveals on this podcast yeah. before. Life intense. So you're the next one. Okay, yeah. great, great. I'll let you know when I have the title. <laughs> um, and then I ended up doing my residency in rural Virginia, which was kind of an unexpected directional change. And I did family medicine training. I wanted to stay very general. I was fundamentally interested again, in moving from the individual into more collective well-being. Mm-hmm. And in family medicine, there's a decent amount of focus on family systems, and family systems extrapolates to community dynamics. And it's really about you know, supporting people on the one-on-one level to heal what's inside themselves so they can become increasingly clear, increasingly calm, increasingly centered, more aware of what they're experiencing, of what they're feeling, and what they're thinking and the relationships between feeling and thinking, mm-hmm. either to improve the feeling and thinking capacity or to cut through it, to cut through the, the narrative and just being purely present with self and others. Yeah, there because there's a lot of stories going on inside your head. There's Story. a lot of voices there. There's a lot of voices. Yeah. And we start to confuse that those voices are who we are. And yeah. a lot of those voices, like if, if you narrated the voice in your mind <laughs> to your friends and family, you probably wouldn't have many friends or no, family a lot of time. No. Yeah, I would be locked up somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Prison or a psychiatric yeah and yet and yet from what i can tell from my own experience of serving people in the west i don't know what it's like in indigenous cultures 
and I don't even know where it's like a lot of other places in the world outside of my travels. I've traveled extensively, but people don't always reveal like, yeah, there's voices in my head and they say all this nonsense to me. Mm-hmm. But what I can tell you with high, a high confidence interval, at least in the West or at least in the United States, it's pretty much everybody has these obnoxious voices going on in their mind. Mm-hmm. And it's ruling a lot of our choices and behavior mm-hmm. and not for the better, not for the healthier, not for the uplifting of self or others, not to improve our capacity to serve joyfully, mm-hmm. not necessarily improving our capacity to be in grace and ease. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily helping compassion. There's fear, there's judgment, there's doubt, there's self-loathing, yeah. right? And there's all of these things that we're dealing with. And this ties into consciousness, where we're at in consciousness individually and collectively. It also ties into things like the mental health epidemic that we're having. Mm-hmm. And it also ties into the kind of crisis we're having globally around our financial systems and our relationship with the environment. So we can really begin to see that all of these things are actually related yeah. on some level, that they're profoundly connected. Mm-hmm and that they may be fractals at different scales of observation. That's resonated with me, yeah. Yeah, and you were saying something, Dr. Ben, before when we were talking about how we create the world around us. Like, it's what we make of it. And what you are just saying there reminds me, and this is something, like, from, from me, a lay person, a very simpleton, is that I think, you know, I think back, and a lot of people do this when they have a bad day, for example. Like, one thing goes wrong, and then you are looking for everything to go wrong. And let's say, you know, earlier, for example, we were talking about parking. You got a great parking spot. It's so easy for people to be like, oh, I couldn't find parking. And then I had to walk somewhere. And then I was late. <laughs> and it just compounds. And they're looking for all the things going wrong in the day. Mm-hmm. But you're just creating that. From, you're looking for something to go wrong now. And you're, well, you're tuned into the, You're tuned into that frequency. Yeah. Right? And, and it snowballs. And it's so easy to just be like, to change your mindset. Be like, oh, wow, I made it here safe and sound. That was great. Oh, I'm a few minutes late, but I'm still going to meet with my friend. That's so great. I get to spend that time with them. It's so easy to make those little changes to your day-to-day actions mm-hmm. and to not – I, yeah, it's, you say it much better. So, it's like getting, <laughs> like, getting, it's like getting, a, getting out of the <laughs> habit. Like you and I, we're getting out of the habit of listening to those voices that say, you can't do it. This mm-hmm. is bad shit. You're not going to make any money doing Nothing's this. Nothing's going right. Nothing's going right. You're just a simpleton, Jessa. Oh, man. See? Thank you for that example. In the moment. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. So, so I just I want to offer, because I think there, there is a lot of focus on mindset, and there, there's a lot of options in the marketplace for entrepreneurs to go places and have mm-hmm. different tools and different conversations on mindset and positive thinking. And that's certainly a tool in the toolbox um, where my explorations are more focused right now is really around embodiment. So mindset is still very much a top-down approach. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, the CEO of, of my beingness is saying, <laughs> think positive, mm-hmm. right? But all like the ground workers are like, it doesn't feel positive right now. That's not ground up. Right. So, so <laughs> I like the idea of of integration where we're pairing top down with bottom up. Mm -hmm. So the bottom up approach is to actually slow down enough to feel what we're feeling in our body. Because a lot of what gets turned into narration and story is simply tension in the body or some kind of unfelt feeling in the body. And we're whizzing around at high speed. Most of us are, are keeping ourselves in one way or another in productivity consciousness. So we're like, you know, we got our stimulants and... Mm -hmm. You know, people have their downers at night to come down from the stimulation and they're rushing around in traffic and they're multitasking and they're checking into Facebook and comparing themselves to other and checking the market and checking the news and all these things that are leading to all the stimulation and dopamine hits in the brain. 
and plus we're sitting at desks and we're sitting in chairs. So we tend to not have good posture. We're not breathing into our bellies and we actually end up suppressing a lot of the feeling. And the connection there, I think the valuable connection between what is the body feeling and mindset is so simple. It's, it's the breath. Yes. And yet, and yet we thing. forget this, mm-hmm. <laughs> that it's like the most instantly available and in many ways most reliable tool we have to come back into fundamental well-being. And, and literally everyone has access to this. Some people who, who maybe have profound COPD or lung cancer may not have actual access to the breath. That's a whole different mm-hmm. conversation. But for the most part, everyone has access to the breath. And as of right now, it's still free to breathe. <laughs> that, that may change depending on the directionality of, <laughs> of, of where the world is going. Yeah. Well, I wanted to sit with that word stimulation mm-hmm. because and stimulants because you explained it in a way that um, came through to Jessa and me back in the day when we're in the forest searching for things. There's a lot of you hear a noise in the forest. Those that don't react to the noise sure. and that noise is a benevolent being that's not a predator, they're okay. But if you do, re- you don't react to that noise and it's a predator, well, you're going to die. And so tribes and communities evolve over time to react. Yeah, well, our, our nervous systems have right. evolved in, in that theoretical scenario that grocks with me and grocks with lots of other people, um, that our nervous system developed a preference for prioritizing negative, threatening information over reassuring positive information. Now, I'd be really curious if that's true mm-hmm. in certain indigenous tribes that have maintained mm-hmm. cultural continuity over thousands or tens of thousands of years. I'd be interested to see if cultural evolution has actually been able to replace the biological evolution and be a stronger driver of how our nervous systems are wired individually and collectively. I think that's a worthwhile inquiry. We should ask your, our anthropologist that goes to our gym, your professor. <laughs> yeah, and we'd have to go pretty far back no. because you know any <laughs> any tribe that, that was conquered or infiltrated by colonialism has usually ended up bl- blending their spiritual and religious systems right. um, or has lost their yeah. indigenous language. So we don't know how the original linguistics was shaping that consciousness. <laughs> so you have to go pretty far back. I don't even know what tribes you could go to. But the point being, how does that translate into what we're dealing with now as modern humans? Our nervous systems are typically scanning for threat. Uh, And we're finding threat in places where it usually doesn't exist. mm -hmm. We're overreacting to that threat. We're posting that threat. Having others react to (laughs) that Other people are reacting to it. Um, this is like a day in my life, Dr. Ben. Yeah. It's a day in our culture. It's it's part of I've some little stand-up bits I like to do here, like not for in front of anybody, but I make jokes to my friends, but stand up that, in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> is that I'm afraid of everything. Yeah. I, I just had someone who came in who's, who's afraid of everything. Yeah. And this, is, this is what we we're explaining to her is that there's a variety of reasons. There's also early childhood experience that happens. Mm-hmm. There's what trauma does to the nervous system. There's even good evidence now in developmental theory that when children face threatening situations in childhood, and it doesn't, from what I can tell, even have to be that many things. Mm-hmm. It can actually wire the nervous system to become hypervigilant. Now, there's probably, there are ways of undoing that. To what extent we can undo it is what I and other people are still researching, um, mostly in clinical experience. Like, mm-hmm. how much of this trauma can we unwire? I mean, there's some people that seem to go completely through it. They tend to go on to be very powerful teachers, but we don't mm-hmm. really have access to their private lives where some of the remaining triggers may be felt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the work that I'm doing now in medicine, I call transformational and consciousness medicine. 
Mm-hmm. And it's really about using first principles. So what are the things that we can kind of know fairly reliably yeah. from all the different sciences, from all the different epistemologies, but also what can we know ontologically? What can we like know from our beingness? We can be certain things in the world and make observations about our beingness and kind of calibrate, oh, this way of being seems to produce a more joyful existence. So when I wake up in the morning and I meditate on gratitude and I breathe deeply into my body, my day generally goes better. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that might be a first principle that meditating on gratitude and breathing into our bellies first thing in the morning seems to produce what we call health. We can also validate that scientifically. So those are kind of first principles, right? So we need to breathe well. We need to nourish ourselves well. We need to be mindful of the kind of, of stimulation and simulation that we put into our consciousness, the media that we're taking in, mm-hmm. also the media that we're putting out, the stories that we're telling about ourselves and sharing to other people. All these things actually really matter. And these affect our relationships with other people. Are we having toxic relational patterns? Are we having healthy relational patterns? What's my relationship with my work? Um, am I getting outside enough, being in nature enough? Am I making sure to remove toxins from my environment? These are kind of all first principles mm-hmm. that we help people with. And we use some functional medicine and systems-based approach to biology. You know, are, are the biological systems in the body functioning well? Or are we optimizing them for resiliency and anti-fragility? Mm-hmm. And then we have other treatments available as well, um, including the ketamine treatment, mm-hmm. which we can do in an integrative context. And ketamine is profoundly mind-altering. And in that space, people can start to bring into deeper inquiry, deeper revelation and insight about how am I relating to myself? Where do I want to go with my life? What's unresolved? Like what is holding me back? Because I actually haven't given loving attention to making amends, whether it's forgiving myself or forgiving other people or making peace with them. Um, how am I out of alignment with myself? So we have this psycho-spiritual intervention that can happen with something like ketamine. But then it's also working on the biochemical level because it's it's producing things like brain-derived neurotropic factor, which increase neuroplasticity, which is the nervous system's ability to remodel itself. Mm-hmm. So if we have traumatic imprints from earlier in, in our life, to what extent can neuroplasticity sort of undo the wiring that's become maladaptive? And to what can what extent can it promote us to to consciously rewire ourselves? So that our nervous system is in alignment with what's my intention, what's my essence, what do I really want to create in life? And that's Mm -hmm. what I'm calling transformational consciousness medicine. And that's important. That is important to us. Uh, We are in the business of helping companies make conscious choices about what they want to do, what their impact is going to be. And if you don't fundamentally look inside and become aware of what your personal values are, what drives you, what's your inner universe, you're not actually aware of what you're doing. I Personally, I think, for example, I've been in a lot of work cultures where it's very reactionary, and we don't take a second to breathe, to kind of sit, sit back into your body and go, okay, what is this in front of me right now? How, does, how do I feel about that? And some of the work I've done with you is a lot of judgment work, and I've, I've actually really liked that, the inquiry and the judgment. So, like, my my usual habit and thought pattern was to react very aggressively with a lot of frustration and have a lot of negative thoughts. And so what I would do is, with you, you'd be like, okay, Laurel, with total judgment, without holding yourself back, what is the one sentence that you would describe this person or this idea or this thought? 
And then I would, you know, with all sorts of profanity and whatever I was really feeling, write it out. And through a series of inquiry, do you find that to be absolutely true? Do you know that to be true? And you go through the turnarounds. And now I find myself being able, when there's a stimulant or something that want, wants me to react. It's a trigger. Yeah. The trigger, I can calm or down. The, or the itch. I, yeah, and I can be way more resilient. Like, so much more resilient. And it leads to better decision-making, more conscious decision-making, decisions that are more in alignment with what feels good instead of just doing what I think everybody wants me to do because that's just how it's done. And that's that's like chaos. And so when you're able to really breathe and make those conscious choices and those conscious decisions, it's sort of like everything unfolds. And it's it's not such a battle. You're not fighting all the time. And for us, things line up. Mm -hmm. Like every day, something pretty magical has been happening for us. Mm -hmm. Because we get out, get out of our own way. And are retraining ourselves out of the normal way of doing business. The normal way that we were taught where it's like move fast, react now. You'll miss the buck. Keep all your cards to yourself. Like do all these things that are just so overwhelming and chaotic. That resonates a lot with me. Sure. So maybe maybe we can provide some context here about how yeah. we actually came to work together because we, we started there. But yeah, maybe you want to share more personally what you experienced, where you started and... Yeah. what you went through and where you are now and how that affected Stellar Co. and what's happening for your company now. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. All the things. I was kind of climbing the corporate ladder and what my granny would say, making gobs of money, gobs and gobs of money, and uh, feeling pretty stellar about myself, if you will. I was in a professional industry i'm getting certified in all the things you know what i mean like i'm so competitive that i gotta be the best at all the things study all the things get certified in all the things and somewhere along that way um i started to get really frustrated because i would see um a system like the way that i think is very similar to you dr ben like i see things in systems hence why we call things constellations of ideas and people is because I see where the connections are. And I would always think of problems as constellations. And if I move this thing and I put it in this right path and then we go down these steps, I'm a planner. So ABC, one, two, three, like planning it all out. That made me feel good. And I would go to leadership and solve a problem or I'd go to my family and my family dysfunction and solve the problem. I'm like, oh, you have this ailment? Just do these three things. It's so obvious. And either the work environment or my family environment wouldn't do those things. And the chaos would ensue. And I'm like, this is so frustrating. I'm laying it out for you. It's so obvious. Like, here's the solution. Here's the answer. Just do it. Like, what's your problem? And I would take that personally. Oh, I'm not worth it. They're not listening to me because I'm not worth it. I'm not valuable. And it was damaging all of my relationships to the point where I would have these horrible, angry outbursts. Like, I don't, I mean, I never really outburst at you, Jessa, but I definitely cried at you a lot. You outburst <laughs> with me, not with at you. me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jessa was such a magnificent sounding board. I had a huge family fallout, didn't speak to them for two years. And it was because I just lost it, just totally 
full anger, nasty. Mm. And um, the feelings that I felt when I was angry was total victim mentality. And, never, and, you know, I'd hear, you know, people say, don't be a victim. You know, you're stronger than that. And I didn't really understand what that really meant. And looking back on it now, I haven't gone through treatment and really working on it. I'm like, oh, yeah. Like, I was blaming everyone else instead of just focusing on the inside and figuring out what's what's really up. And so I just stopped talking to my family. And then I really focused on work. And then work started to fall apart. My mm. relationships in the office were just such a struggle. Like, everything was so painful to get through. I was just fighting all the time and exploding, totally exploding. And then through a series of events, Jessica put me in touch with this awesome organization that we interviewed on our podcast called XQ Innovation. And I did this deep personality assessment and I went through the Tory Project boot camp where we do a lot of spiritual work and our core values. And it was a safe place to like tell them I'm going through this like phase of pure anger. Like <laughs> what is going on? And Great then, time to start a business, too. Yeah, right. I was like, Laurel's really fired up. Let's do this. That's <laughs> our job. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a lot of energy right now. Let's do something. Let's bet our life on this, right? <laughs> and so I meet with um, XQ Innovation and this personality assessment. He read me like a book. Like, Joe was like, you're not supposed to have a boss, Laurel. Like, you're the way that you're engineered is that you're a problem solver and you're really creative. And you have this capacity to change systems and not do it the way that everybody else has been doing it just because everybody else is telling you. That's why you're fighting. You're fighting because you want to do things differently and you want to make change and you want people to live in harmony with themselves and the environment. So when you feel chaos or disharmony, you want to fix it immediately. So that shed a lot of self light on self-awareness. That was I feel like that was my first step where somebody was like, it's okay to be you. Actually, it's quite awesome for you to be the way that you are. So it just took a deep breath and took everything down 100 notches. So fast forward, we start, Jess and I start a business and one of her contacts, we just, we're out meeting with people to just figure things out. Like the more we talk about our business, the more pieces are sticking with us and we really like it. We meet with this gentleman and he could just see the suffering in my eyes. And so I told him, I told him I hadn't talked to my family in two years, that my work environments have been chaotic, that I have these angry outbursts and I'm just effing miserable. And he referred me to you. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very outgoing person, but I was still very scared. It's like that, that anxiety of, is this woo-woo weird? Like, what am I going to look like? Like, with the stigma, all the voices in my head of exploring alternative ways of healing. I mean, I use alternative, like, in air quotes. Um, That's weird. That's, like, weird. And those were the voices in my head. And I was like, no, I I have the courage to do this. Courage is one of our core values at Estelar Co. And I called you, and we talked on the phone, and you gave me options, and I... Loved that. I loved that you were like, sister, you are light in love. <laughs> you mm. are beautiful. We can absolutely do this. And here's some things to think about. And so I got to choose, which made me feel so good. I was like, I'm going to make this choice. I have control over this choice. I have the courage to change, and I'm going to do it. So we go through this ketamine process, and 
I didn't realize it, but I had put so many barriers within myself. It makes me emotional thinking about it because I'm so grateful mm. that, I mean, one of the quotes that you said to me before I did this experience was, your task is not to seek love, but to seek and find the barriers within yourself you built against it. The Rumi quote. Shout out to Rumi. Whoop, whoop. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can identify with this because it's like we're very task oriented. Must find the things. Here's your task, your task every day. And it was a relief to go, oh, you're not seeking and finding love. You already are it. Mm -hmm. So go figure out what are those barriers that you've put up or society's put up or trauma has put up or your reactions. And through the ketamine like helped. I, I felt like my head was being unlocked, like like unlocked and then my whole body open my fascia my muscles my joints and i went through this self-exploration where i addressed my fears and i realized i had been scared of everything mm -hmm. so that anger was just a deep hurt deep fear and it was my coping mechanism and it no longer serves me so here i am and going through this experience and what I think is my worst nightmare, which is being alone, losing my husband, losing my parents, not being with Dr. Ben, not being with Jessa, not being with my people that I loved. I'm in this experience where I don't have any of them. It's just While me. you're in the ketamine treatment. While I'm in the ketamine yeah. treatment. It's, I'm the, in the, this. The void of, of the lone view. I'm in the void. And normally, that would be terrifying. But I felt total acceptance. Mm complete acceptance it was like oh well this is just this is just where i live now and that's great and so it and later when we like decompress and you come out of the ketamine treatment you help me integrate and we kind of process this information it liberated me i no longer react out of fear i choose love every time and the voice in my head that may say, oh, that's woo-woo to be so loving. It's woo. It's weird to go, oh, I just love you. Like, let's have a great time. Let's just be together. Like how I really feel on the inside. <laughs> it's not. That's a good, joyful thing. And so joy comes easily. Conscious decision-making comes easier. I'm more resilient. My body feels better. I now have a connection with all of my family members where you helped guide me through the making amends process. You're going on vacation together now. I, it's like I saw it on our calendar. Com <laughs> complete, complete turnaround. Yeah. Side effects may include yeah. happy family vacations. Which, like, we can have a whole podcast about why that would be terrifying, but it's not. <laughs> it's not now. It's like, it's um, the word that pops up to me is it's just magic. It feels like magic. It. I'm not angry. There's yeah, nothing there's, to be scared there of. There is a magical element to it. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, you know, because I and others for a very, very long time, <laughs> part of many human cultures is to reflect on magic and to try to come up with some principles of how we can increase the magic, which is really creation. Yes. And how to bring it more in alignment with intentionality. So I reflect every time I hear from someone that's had such a tremendous transformation and I really celebrate your growth and transformation. It's such a great way to celebrate your birthday because this was only <laughs> over the past few months. So yeah, it's this... been a pretty significant shift mm -hmm. and it's been rapid, but also stable. Yes. 
Right. Like, I struggle to have the words for it. It's like if you were to read my journals, you'd be like, wow, this is profound because it <laughs> I'm not patting myself on the back. By the way, I will be publishing my journal. This, this is my book announcement. Yes, it's called Treasure Hunting. Search for it on all major outlets. That's great. I I just um your dis- profound journals. The the wisdom in it is that it's self-awareness and and looking inward at the universe, the YOU universe that has been so transformational for me. And I'm just, I'm happy. Like, I'm happy. And that, I don't think I've felt this way since I was 17. Well, I can offer a little bit of perspective. No, no. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Too close, too soon, too soon. We're going to make this about me for just a minute. Yay! (laughs) My favorite thing to do. So, Laurel, how long have we known each other? Like, two or three years? Two and a half-ish? A long, long time, but yeah. Mm. So, I saw Laurel at what I would view... A peak, a valley, and now, like a mountaintop. My second, ma- <laughs> my second mountain. Yeah. yeah. And a peak and a valley. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. High point, low point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For clarity, yeah, there were ups <laughs> and downs, yes. and now we're yeah. <laughs> we're back up. <laughs> and so, when it was actually great because when I first met Laurel, it's so funny. I don't know if I've told you this actually, oh. but when we were in our very first meeting. It was about like a work opportunity and someone asked Laurel, like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Kind of like tongue in cheek. She said, I want to be CEO. Like zero flinching, zero hesitation. And I was like, oh, I'm like, that's pretty badass. I'm like, okay. I'm like, she's going to be CEO. I remember thinking that like, yeah, she's going to do that. And I was just like attracted to her immediately. You know how like you meet people and you're just like, oh, I want to like be around that person. That was Laurel for me. And I've held on to that. And now it's like crazy because we are. Because <laughs> we are. Um, and a short time later. And so, you know, we met through work. And so things were great. And then they weren't great. And they weren't great. And they weren't great. And like kind of this fall that Laurel mentioned earlier, like I was experiencing that through her day to day. And there's a lot of, like you said, emotion and anger. And we talked quite a bit about things. And it was just like. You, you need do what you need to do. Like, because mm-hmm. um, I feel like I was selfishly wanting Laurel to do what I wanted her to do. But I'm like, no, no, no. Like, <laughs> do what you need to do. And that ultimately turned out to short, I guess, like the sh- quick solution was like, okay, I'm going to change my career. Like, I'm going to yeah. get rid of, I'm going to go on to this next chapter of my life. And that's when we started talking. I was like, that's a great idea, Laurel. You should do it. She calls me the next day. She's like, I'm going to do this with you. Let's do it. I was like, all right. <laughs> and uh, literally, I think it's all. I was like, "Great, let's do it." And then you, I think through the Tory Project because we talk a lot about mm-hmm. consciousness and awareness and being a conscious business leader. That little, like she said earlier, like she was sharing stuff and starting to talk more. And, be, and by talking about it and putting it out in the universe about something that people are kind of afraid to talk about, there might be a stigma. That's how she ultimately got connected with you. Was this guy she met that I knew. And he and I were having a conversation about consciousness and like leadership. I was like, oh my God, you gotta meet Laurel. And sure enough, within like, you know, 30 minutes, he knows her whole life story and is like, <laughs> Dr. Ben. And it's been life changing for me. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you guys both. Cause I know Laurel's done so much work. Um, and not that we all haven't, but I just wanna like, commend you and congratulate you because I know it's not easy and to build these like daily habits and to do the things that aren't. Like, you don't take the, the easy way out of things. Like, you've yeah. changed your lifestyle. You've changed your diet. You've 
working out more, you journal, you have all these healthy routines and it it impacts me a lot where positively impacts me where Laurel and I work really well together. We see situations differently when I get fired up about something, just like the other day, I was like, oh, it's like this person. I was like, oh, I'm going off. And she's like, well, okay, let's sit back and think how we need to approach this. What they're probably going through is, and then I'm like, you're right. Like, I don't know why I'm getting fired up about this. This isn't about me. Like, and so it really helps us make business decisions together better. And it's impacted my like day to day personally better. So I'm ancillarily reaping the benefits of your guys' hard work. <laughs> All right. Go team. Thank you for that reflection. And it's really a testimonial to this idea that positive transformation is a process that starts from the inside and works its way outward. Yes. So you were talking earlier about creating reality, and we have to be careful with that, um, to what extent we see ourselves as creating reality. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, it's an inquiry of, like, what's in my domain? I create the meaning. We definitely create the meaning of it, right? right? And then, we also create choices. Yes. And so those things we can be pretty clear about, although some people don't think we have our own choice. There's a lot of different ways of looking at choice. But there is this really powerful idea that we can experience that as we come into greater alignment with ourselves— things that are in higher integrity, things that reflect the kind of world that we want to create, we want to live in, become more readily available in our perceived reality. Yes. So to that extent, there's a strong incentive for any entrepreneur that wants to create a business that's following something like triple bottom line Mm -hmm. or has a more holistic value system about what they want to create or propagate in the world. There's a strong rationale scientifically and spiritually We can get there through both ways of knowing that really focusing on change on the inside is where we start. And from there, it starts to permeate our relationships, starting with our most intimate relationships, hopefully, and then coming into our business relationships. Mm -hmm. And that may be one of the key ingredients of connecting uh, awareness, of connecting consciousness with better business in the world. Now, I'd like to comment briefly on something earlier that, that you mentioned, which is this idea of impact which has become very trendy. And I'm going to present maybe a little bit of a contrarian view around it because it's become so trendy that I'm concerned it's going to become like the next greenwashing phenomenon Mm -hmm. in business because impact can become another way of being reductionist and transactional about what we're creating in the world. So it's like, great, we got this many pairs of shoes to kids, but what options do they have for when they're adults to have a more meaningful or healthier holistic life, right? So it's great that they have shoes, but... We can get into traps of thinking that our impact is what's most significant in the world. And I think impact is something we need to be aware of and to increase our view of how we're impacting every part of the whole living system of planet Earth. We don't have great ways of doing that yet. We certainly don't have great metrics for it. Mm-hmm. We don't have a great philosophy or, or cultural practices around it. We don't even really know how to value that in terms of how that way of considering everything translates into the energy of money. So I think those are all things that are open inquiry that I hope will continue to evolve in a way that promotes more thriving for every human being on the planet without destroying the environment. Mm -hmm. So alongside the impact thinking, I've been in conversations with other people who really care about this space of of what it looks like to be a heart-centered leader. Mm -hmm. So impact is really secondary. So if we're going to stick with this idea that meaningful transformation starts on the inside, Right? What is our like internal compass? 
Because if we're just using the mind, the mind's filled with all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. The heart also has its own minds. In, in certain systems of medicine, there's three brains. There's the one in your cranium, there's the one in your heart, and there's the one in your gut. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we're thinking about making good decisions and, and coming into health, one of the benefits of becoming healthy is we can begin to trust what we're feeling in our body. And as we can begin to trust and disentangle pain out and release tension and move through the emotional blockages, we can actually begin to trust what we're feeling in our heart. That's the, Dr. Ben, that is the, I think that that is one of the key takeaways. A lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily listen to their gut nor trust it. They just react to a stimulant. But if you, if somebody gives you permission, like I needed your, your partner to come to me and say, Laurel, I give you permission to do nothing. I give you permission to surrender, follow your intuition and trust. Yeah. Yeah. That was a huge learning experience for me. Yeah, and it's, you know, some people talk about this as the resurgence of the feminine. Mm-hmm. And it's really about the feminine and masculine energies coming into greater alignment and greater balance. So we have this intelligence inside our gut Yes. That's very powerful. And intuition is often more powerful than these other forms of intellect. I think the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell Mm -hmm. lays some of that out in some really profound ways. So, you know, we need to tune these antennas in our body. So to get our heart in good shape, we got to really look at what's the pain that we're holding in our hearts around how we've betrayed ourselves and how we've hurt other people. Mm -hmm. And then there's the gut brain, which is really about feeding it good food and processing whatever emotions are in there. And I think one of the reasons why ayahuasca is making, you know, such big waves in the entrepreneurial community is it's a great way of resetting your gut. Mm. I mean, the gut produces, from what we understand, 75% of the serotonin in the whole human body, mm-hmm. which amongst other things that it does, because it does a lot of different things, mm-hmm. but it certainly has an impact on mood and our ability to feel relaxed and calm. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly in our gut. Then we have all this bacteria in our gut, and we also have mycoorganisms, fungal-based organisms, and they're producing all kinds of things from Mm -hmm. vitamins to neurotransmitters to things that poison our body or heal our body. So there's this whole ecosystem inside of our gut that's delivering information to the nervous system in our spinal cord and brain. And if that's disrupted, if that's corrupted because we're feeding it trash and we're not listening to it, we're not taking care of it, we're not actually going to be able to trust their intuition. Mm-hmm. So, you know, then people go down in the jungle and they drink ayahuasca and they puke out a bunch of stuff. <laughs> they purge or, or they have what's called the shamanic colonic and comes out the <laughs> other side. And, and in the ayahuasca brew, there's a couple different meaningful compounds. One of them is an MAOI, which actually slows, slows the breakdown of serotonin. So you're endogenous, right? The levels inside your body naturally stay higher for longer, and then it's also flooding you with dimethyltryptamine, DMT, mm-hmm. which is an analog of serotonin. If you look at the chemical structure of serotonin and DMT, they're very closely related. They're really only a few atoms apart. So then you have all this DMT that's interacting with your serotonin receptors. So you're basically entirely flushing out your gut brain and doing this massive reset on your gut brain. Reset. Yeah. And then people also come out and they're like, wow, I had all these profound visions and all these profound spiritual teachings. Mm-hmm. Well, to me, there's a direct relationship there to the gut brain coming back online, mm-hmm. that our intuition and even some of our sense of spiritual connectedness comes from this gut brain. Yes. So as, as we're healing holistically, right, 
We're healing the heart so we can start to trust the direction of our heart more and live more courageously and fearlessly from our heart. Now we're beginning to trust our intuition. And this can inform from a bottom-up approach. So if you actually look at the human nervous system, there's something called the vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. It comes down and it's like the, it's like the taproot of the tree. It's really beautiful if you look <laughs> at it. And it innervates all the viscera. And one way of looking at the vagal nerve is it's collecting all this information like, how is the gut feeling? Mm-hmm. Hey, the gut's good. Great. How is the heart feeling? Oh, heart feels great. And it's telling the brain, everything's good. Yeah, sorted. And then the brain, then, then, the, then the brain is calm. And then you can actually start to experience space in between the voices. Yes. So the voices of judgment and the voices of fear and doubt, they actually start to simmer down. To me, that's resiliency. Yeah. And there, there's increasingly more space in between that. And then you can reinforce that. You can integrate that with the breath-based practices. And when you breathe deeply into your gut, you're augmenting the vagal nerve. You're stimulating the vagal nerve. Mm-hmm. And then you can do the meditation practices, which further teach you about how to cut through the mind and how to focus and how to concentrate on the things you want to focus and concentrate on. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're developing a more holistic way of healing. It leads to better relationship with self. And then everything becomes a reflection of that. All of our relationships, business relationships become a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the impact of doing that? The impact of doing that is is nearly unquantifiable mm-hmm. because we don't even know the range of the ripple that we're creating. Mm-hmm. But it does indeed scale. It definitely scales. And because it's, you it scales, heal yourself, you heal all. It scales in a way that may not be quantifiable. Right. And then, and then people get into the conversation of like, oh, you should figure out how to quantify. And it's like, maybe we don't need to quantify all of life. <laughs> True. Like maybe we can just appreciate the way that it feels. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for saying that. And that we look at people's faces around us and their faces are lighting up and they're smiling more and in this moment, we don't know how to fix the trash problem in the ocean, but until we figure that out, what I know for sure is that there's more smiling faces <laughs> and more light in the people that I'm interacting with yeah. and that I feel lighter and that that's probably a good impact to have in the world. You so don't I, need a KPI with it. You don't need... And maybe metrics. maybe we can, or but maybe, maybe, but yeah, maybe we can be like lighthearted and playful about it and we can mm-hmm. turn it more into a game. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it doesn't have to be such a hard metric. And maybe there's really fun ways of gamifying that. And I would love to see some innovation in that space mm-hmm. that we can play games. And maybe there's even a way to start interacting on our cell phones in a way that make that fun without absorbing us in disconnective right. technology. That's literally the conversation we had yesterday yeah. but, uh, over lunch. Thank you for reminding me. The wine well, pizza the and memory. cookies. Wine pizza well, and cookies. We had this conversation. I was sitting here like wishing I could like crawl under the table as Dr. Ben's talking about eating trash and serotonin. <laughs> you guys, unfortunately, had to watch me inhale a pepperoni pizza before we recorded this. I didn't I didn't imply any trash. No, you didn't need to. I, I know it wasn't directed at me, it's but a, I couldn't help it. It's a general euphemism. Like, but yes. I couldn't help that it resonated with me. Yeah. And uh, I also had pepperoni pizza yesterday. It just keeps... I put it out there and it keeps appearing. So I think I need to put something else out there. But I saw a salad on the table. I that's yeah. yeah that that's what that I did. was mine. <laughs> I got one too. Okay. There was a side I, salad, but I, the side salad was left. Yes, I did notice. Yes, but yeah. we were in a hurry, so I had to get I had to get in what I could. But that's me. Like everything you're saying and talking about, like the bottom up, top down. All of this is resonating with me so clearly because. I, I've always been an anxious person and my central nervous system is on overdrive all the time. I'm reacting to everything. Everything is terrifying. Everything's out to get me. And just, I'm like every minute I'm alive, I'm like, I don't know how I made it this far. <laughs> but I but I peaked a couple years ago because I was thinking top down and not bottom up. 
and I wasn't listening to my body. I was or just, inside out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, go, 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 go. I have to do all this stuff. I have to be productive. I have to make all these things happen. I have to do it yesterday. Like, I'm not where I need to be. Mm-hmm. And I crashed and I got mono as a 35 year old adult. And um, <laughs> I was out. Like, mm-hmm. it was just like not optional. And then after that, my anxiety's always been terrible. But after that, it was like crippling. Like, you know, I was having all these autoimmune symptoms and all this thing. And um, I started taking an SSRI, but probably it probably took a year. And like immediately I felt better, like immediately. And I'm not saying that's the answer. For me, I needed it and I needed it. Yeah, sometimes time. they help. Yeah, it oh. was great. But I, it, for me, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, my God, like anxiety can do that to my body. Yeah. Like that's what happened after I like ran myself to the ground and had yeah. these toxic relationships and yeah. probably a toxic work environment and to some extent and just all these like the self-loathing and the doubt and the criticism and and eating garbage and now thinking <laughs> about what you just said about all the serotonin in your gut i i didn't know that and I, I read a lot about serotonin and i've never seen that at all and not that i've obviously nearly as much as you yeah, but it's, it's huge. but I, I don't just accept it at face value because i'm what i've been told is like and i think this is like traditional western medicine is that this is just the way it is it's genetic you're just genetically wired for yeah. anxiety and I'm like, I don't accept this. I'm sorry. I believe you. I believe this is a way, like, like I think you're doing your best kind of, but, like, I, I just can't accept that this is just it. This is just the way you are. Yeah. So maybe I'll stop eating well, pepperoni pizza. No, but I love that you're not accepting that. That I love that you're not accepting that because you're listening to yourself and you're saying, I don't choose that. That's not, I, I, no. <laughs> I know you went to medical school and you're licensed, but... Well, there's value. There's value. Well, I don't I don't want to endorse that per se. I want to be very careful here. Um, But there is something to be said about trusting your inner authority. Right. Coming into greater authenticity. And again, tuning up all these systems, tuning up the gut brain and the heart brain is actually going to improve our ability to trust our inner authority. I feel like I'm doing that more freely and easily now after having been with you in the ketamine treatment. And I got the honor of experiencing a ketamine treatment without being on it. So I get to be in the room and I get to hold the space and feel the intention. And that, you know, day-long basic meditation, meditative, meditative state, I was telling you guys this. I woke up the next day and solved like six problems that have been chewing at my brain. I woke up the next day, solved them first thing in the morning. And then I had a call with my TEDx speaker coach that was supposed to be an hour of like really hard focused work. And we solved it all in 16 minutes. It, Another success story of inside out. It's, it's the, it's for me, it's the truth. Um, and friends see it. Yeah. Well, I would like to cut you off and acknowledge <laughs> that. Yes. And Laura, what's so great about us with business is that we've, you know, we're very entrepreneurial. A lot of opportunities are coming our way and we're still kind of defining to some extent what we're doing because things keep coming up and these opportunities present themselves and they're kind of crazy. And Laurel's like, this feels good. Like, I feel yes. good about this. I'm like, great, let's do it. And it's so fun to be able to go off on these new opportunities and explore and be open-minded and not be like, well, this doesn't fit in the business plan for this quarter. So <laughs> sorry. Like we sit back and we think about it and what it talks about. And Laurel's just like, this, this feels good. This is what we're going to do. It feels good to create. Yeah. Like instead of having the outside in 
tell you this is the process that you got to go through. Here's the business plan you got to do. Mm-hmm. Here's all the metrics right. you got to hit to be successful. This is what a startup business consulting firm needs to do. This is your ideal client. This is your avatar. Like all the all that nonsense. Well, they're, they're useful tools, right? They're not serving us in the way that we were taught they would. And I, I'm curious if those tools function better when the inside work has been done. Because ultimately, I don't want to suggest that one way of doing it is the right way of doing it. What I'm attempting to offer here is a balance to the ways that our culture is kind of instructing us to do things. I'll give you a concrete example. We are planners. I love a good plan. With numbers, quarterly, yearly, three-year, ten-year, dates, deadlines, who's doing it, who, what, when, how's that? Love Mm. it. Love step mapping by step, it all bit by bit. In 20 years, we're operating in space. Like, though, that brings me great joy. So, like, those tools, like the traditional getting yourself organized and operating a business and having a budget and finances are all really good. Where the intuition steps in and the feeling good steps in, for example, is when we're in a conference room, we do our strategic plan in under an hour. And other places we've been, it's been a several-day process. Mm-hmm. So in under an hour, Jess and I are high-fiving each other and feeling awesome. And and we're in alignment because we've been yeah. talking a lot. Mm-hmm. And we are very focused and intentional about the opportunities that present themselves. It's not just, and I've probably oversimplified it, it's not just like, oh, this feels good, this is cool, let's do it. It's been, we talk about how it fits within our culture and our values and our long-term goals, but... We are very flexible and adaptable and not we're open minded to new things that come our way, even though it might not fit within these little boxes on our like one page plan or the, the traditional yeah. kinds of business. And yeah, well, it's like the new narrative. Like we well, talk- what I was kind of thinking of, Uh-oh. what I was kind of thinking of is like nor I think normally a lot of um, executive leadership groups that we've been a part of, they keep those strategic plans to themselves and they don't share that. And we were in a situation where we're like, why don't we just give this to Brian so that he can see what our runway looks like and so that he can just visualize like where we're going and where we're at and just be transparent about it. And I trust him and we sent it to him and it's like clarity. I get you. We're on the same page. Yeah, there's definitely a place for those tools in business, 100 percent. And I think, you know, we you kind of touched on this earlier and we had another guest on here when we talk about the new narrative and it's like you have this narrative you learn in school and in business school and in the business world where it's like, this is the way you do things. This is the way things are done. Don't ask questions, just do it. Sure. And I think now like, you know, Laurel, that's why I was frustrated. Yeah, exactly. Like you were (laughs) stifled because that's not the type of person you are. And now that we're able to seize on these opportunities and be creative and to go in different directions and use the skills that we have, like that has been, it's been really fun. Like it's fun, it's enjoyable, it adds purpose and value and we're bringing that to other people as well. Dr. Ben, people go, Jess and Laurel, aren't you scared? <laughs> like, of? Scared of launching yeah. our own business, of being entrepreneurs, like aren't you scared? And we're like, this is really fun. No, I say no. And then I'm like, wait, should I be scared? I'm like, I'm not. <laughs> no, that's the voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, it feels good. Hello, voice. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yeah. So I wanted to circle back to something you said about um, your relationship with anxiety. Because it's a really common issue in entrepreneurs, right? Tend to be high performers under a lot of pressure. And chronic stress and anxiety are kind of a vicious feed forward loop. So there's actually some 
biological mechanisms at play here. So when you're under the chronic stress, right, your nervous system is getting constantly jacked up by perceived threat. Mm -hmm. Of all the different things that we deal with just to get to the office, like sitting in traffic around a bunch of, you know, death predator. I love that analogy. You're on the highway and you're just in a swarm of predators. I mean, to your subconscious mind, it's like you're in a herd of metal beasts, right? It's like, what's going on here? Moving really fast. None of who know how to drive, by the way. They're all terrible drivers. On top of all of it. Me. Except for Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. And SoCal certainly teaches you how to be at peace with that. And, and then you get to the office and you're inundated with perceived financial threat, which is very closely related at this point to just basic survival, mm-hmm. right? Well, I have the resources to survive, the food, the place to stay, et cetera. So these really get perceived by the subconscious minds as actual threats to safety. So that causes your body to release stress hormones, predominantly cortisol, which comes from the adrenal glands, which were, from what we can tell, adapted to get you out of danger in a short period of time but not adapted to sustain you under high-stress situations for years at a time. And 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 everything in the body requires energy, right? It all requires currency to come in. Mm -hmm. And so if you're using up a lot of energy in one place, you're taking away energy from somewhere else. Similarly, if you're spending money somewhere, you're, you're taking it from somewhere else, right? And so people end up burning out their adrenal glands. There's Western medicine doesn't really fully recognize this. We certainly do in functional medicine. And your adrenals end up getting quite fatigued. And as that happens, your immune system goes down. Your resiliency goes down. And then you get susceptible to all these different kinds of very common infections. I think coronavirus is the one that everyone's freaking out about now. It's like, oh, what are some basic things we can do? Well, if you're stressed out, get your stress levels down. Yeah. Because it's one of the best things you can do, first principles, to bring back the natural resiliency of your own immune system. Take stress seriously. It is a major threat to your wellness. It's a major threat to your health span your lifespan, and to all of your meaningful relationships. And so there's a specific form of chronic stress and anxiety that I recently learned about through a book that's really changed my thinking and really helped me understand part of my market, which is largely entrepreneurs, largely successful, various levels of successful entrepreneurs. And they were coming to me with this cluster of things that didn't quite fit into the categories of disease that we were taught in medical school residency. Mm -hmm. And then I found this book called Toxic Success, and I found it on, on our bookshelf at home, and it had been there for a year. And it was kind of like when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Yes. Because <laughs> I walked in, and it was like beeline eyes right to the book. And I was like, Shine to you. My, my partner, Amber, would, was not interested in, in reading it at all. I didn't speak to her at all. And I understand why I didn't speak to her at all. And I was like, this book's here for me. Mm-hmm. And I started reading it, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, that was the this, week, is, this week is about back. me because <laughs> I I didn't do go through treatment with you, but uh-huh. I did a consultation and we talked yeah. for a few hours. And I remember talking to you about my anxiety and all this stuff. And that was the week because you're like, okay, I just found this book on my bookshelf, toxic stress, toxic success. success. Sorry, yeah, toxic. yeah. <laughs> What's in my mind? Yeah, but that's also a good title. That's toxic also a good title. Success. Yeah. And you're like, I just started reading it, and you're like, oh, this is like, like. We were connecting about that because that's what I would have no idea. I would never have described it like that or thought about it like that. And you were like, yeah. this is the right time it's to kind of a, you about It's it. kind of a game changer. At least it's been a game changer for me. And it's definitely improved my capacity to serve others. Mm-hmm. But just helping us make better sense of how we ended up in the situations we ended up where we're like, look, materially, I'm doing really well. You just yeah. look at it from a global perspective, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> if you look at the billionaire class, I'm a, I'm a peasant. But if you look at the globe at scale, it's like we're we're like nobility. We're in a very privileged class in terms of material resource. 
and yet unhappiness, chronic anxiety, deteriorating interpersonal relationships, deteriorating physical health is endemic to the United States. We have all this material wealth and terrible health outcomes. And this idea of toxic success is that we've basically oriented our lives, the meaning making in our lives has been essentially proclaimed by fairly toxic ideas of what it means to be successful. Mm-hmm. That it's about accumulation of more and more things and money. And those and, and things accumulating things can be a beautiful thing and accumulating money can be a really good thing. If we're in deep coherency with 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 what the heart is directing us towards and with what our gut, our intuition is saying is really good for us, mm-hmm. and we're paying attention to the relationships around us and really listening to the relationships around us as a barometer of where we're at. And then the part that I think we're learning to integrate right now as a culture and as individuals is the physical environment. Um, and that one's been a little bit harder for us to take account of. And part of the reason is that it just seems really hard to make good ethical choices as consumers right now and really know what the impact of each decision is. And we probably need better rules at the top. But if we also look at what are some of the things that are wrong with business right now without getting too political about what capitalism is or isn't or how it can evolve or what it will evolve into, I think we can just take a step back and say, hey, the way the economy is currently running is also a fractal of toxic success. This idea of growth by any means necessary is actually creating impoverishment of our physical environment, which is in many ways our our mother, like our Mm -hmm. physical bodies come from this substrate. It's us. It, it is us, We're not right? fundamentally separate from all of it. Yeah, and so our, our current way of doing economy, of, mm-hmm. of distributing resources, is destroying the substrate that our life is dependent upon. So what happens as we continue to grow and accelerate that game? Mm-hmm. For a lot of people who are paying attention to it, it doesn't look that promising. So this idea of toxic success at the individual level, what am I really dedicating my life to? What am I orienting around? What am I striving towards? Mm-hmm. Should I even be striving at all or should I be mm-hmm. thinking about thriving as something yeah. that I can immediately tune into right now? So it's not out there in the future of something I'm going to get to. And I've fallen into this way of thinking and I'm still working on it myself. This is, this is my growth edge personally. And coming into a more holistic sense of what sweet success could look like. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wake up in the morning, I feel relaxed. Check, that's success. Absolutely. You know, I have space in my day to engage in meaningful spiritual practice, meaningful physical movement that feels good that I know is taking care of my body. I have space in my day if I need to, to make time for relationships, right? If I need to make space in a day because I have a friend who's in crisis or a family member who needs help most days of the week, I can do that. That feels really sweet. It does feel really You know, that I can take off a day when I need a day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That feels really good. And so I think in sweet success, what we're essentially moving towards is we're enabling choice. We're giving ourselves greater and greater choice of how to be, of how to live each day. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite pieces of wisdom comes from actually a, a local teacher, and he's a brilliant polymath named Forrest Landry. Yeah. Who's thinking about a lot of these problems holistically, like the mm-hmm. full stack. Of oh, wait, I know what you're going to say. Ah, you want to you you reveal his, his little piece of wisdom? Love is that which embraces choice. Enables. Enables. I and, almost said enable. And I love, I love the new Laurel quote. <laughs> it's like, what? Good, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Yeah. <laughs> so that will probably go somewhere in your treasure hunting book now. It's, yeah, it's in my, it's in, hashtag treasure hunting. It's in my, it's in my Cosmic Adventures book. Oh, I wrote okay, it great. down like that way. But anyway, yeah. Didn't mean to cut so, you off. No, I, it's, I we're, we're, all, we're all jamming here. 
And so when we talk about what does it mean to evolve consciousness, there's a lot of different ideas of what that could look like. I've talked about it previously as moving from egocentric, separate self, right? Mm -hmm. So all my activity and transactions and relationships and gamemanship is about adorning my separate self with as many titles and medals and victories (laughs) as possible so I can, you know, display them to the world. That was me. Well, I think a lot of us have played into that. Right? Oh, absolutely. How many certifications can one so get? So we can we can kind of die like the pharaoh in a tomb full of treasure. Hundred <laughs> percent. And and I think what we can start to move towards is holocentric awareness, which is mm-hmm. awareness of the fundamental oneness that connects all life, that connects all reality. And so I think a previous question you wanted to ask me is what is consciousness, which yep. is mm-hmm. probably the, one of the hardest things to define in the world. And one great definition of consciousness is consciousness is. Mm-hmm. And another definition of consciousness that I played with is awareness of awareness. That's what I was going to say. And another definition mm-hmm. I've, I've played with is consciousness is the totality. It's the everything, no thing, and everything in between. It's every potentiality, every actuality. Mm-hmm. And as conscious creators, whether it's in our personal life or in our business life, what are we going to be creating? Yes. And that's that's really what we got, have to ask ourselves. And I think one of the themes here is really tuning into personal healing, not as an endless path. But tuning into the personal healing to a degree that you can actually start to calibrate to how your choices are influencing the beings around you in your immediate circle and how that's going to affect your business and what you're actually going to scale out into the world. Mm Because if you're just looking at the things, if you're just looking at the hard metrics of what you're scaling out, I think there's a, a really critical part of our humanity that's missing from that calculation. So as we think about the evolution of consciousness in business, I'm proposing that we be in collective open inquiry. Yeah. about balancing impact orientation with heart-centered leadership. Yes. Yes. Uh, I want to applaud that. Yeah, little finger snaps. <laughs> I think I can do it. Yeah, there we go. Sounds good. I, I, this, my experience with you has been transformational. Ketamine helped me access um, parts of myself that had been really asleep for a really long time. And it feels so good to just be me. I want to thank you for giving me that space. Oh, it's my honor. Really my honor. So I feel like I want to talk to you for a whole week straight, but let's wrap up with our three-point landing or three messages that you want our audience to to leave with that they're going to remember and take away. Oh, okay. I'd say meaningful transformation starts from the inside out. Tune up your gut, tune into your heart, and allow this bottom-up approach to direct your mind. Let your mind be a beautiful servant to what's deeply true, what you can feel is resonant, as holistically meaningful and loving. And then enable choice for yourself. And by being that beacon of enabled choice, know that you're inherently empowering people around you. I'll put in one more because I'm a rebel. Ooh. First. Yeah. <laughs> and balance your sense of sovereignty with your own sense of, I came here as a self-incarnating being without a social contract, without any real obligation to anything or anyone. Balance that with our awareness of unity, of holocentric awareness, that we are infinitely interconnected and that we're momentarily experiencing ourselves as a separate self. And as we balance sovereignty and unity, may our separate self come into service of the whole in a way that's really joyful and uplifting. 
all one. I love you it. Know. You ready? Yeah. Send it, Jessa. Thanks for listening. And visit astellar.co. That's A-S-T-E-L-L-A-R dot C-O for reference materials from the podcast and to connect with Jessa and Laurel. Foxhole Studios specializes in audio production and can work remotely to meet your audiovisual needs whether you live in San Diego or not. Getting a podcast started? Contact the team at info at foxholestudios.com for any and all inquiries.